Finding Happy, Seven Steps to Relationships That Will Not Steal Your Joy is the new book by me, Nikita Banks, a licensed psychotherapist and life strategist. Leverage the knowledge you'll receive in this book to help you with the process of obtaining absolute clarity through the use of guided self-exploration. This process is necessary to help you master all your relationships in 2019 and beyond. Go on Amazon.com or BlackTherapistPodcast.com and grab your copy of the book guaranteed to help you redesign all your relationships based on two basic principles, health and happiness. Get your copy today. Welcome to the Black Therapist Podcast. The Black Therapist Podcast is a podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. Now, if you are new to our show, I am your host, author, life strategist, and psychotherapist, Nikita Banks, in private practice in my hometown of Brooklyn, New York. I am available for both psychotherapy and coaching sessions, and you can find more information about that on my website, NikitaBanks.com. You can listen to our podcast everywhere podcasts are found, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, SoundCloud, Pippa, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and BlackTherapistPodcast.com. If you are a mental health advocate or therapist and you want to buy our podcast merchandise, you can do so by visiting our site. And if you want access to our free mental health tips, free online trainings, discounted selective services, and resources, do so by joining our mailing list by texting "get happy" all one word to six six eight six six. If you love the podcast, please like, comment, and share. We love to hear from you. And if you want to send me some feedback, guest suggestions, or simply to say hey, you can contact us at our website, BlackTherapistPodcast.com. Please be mindful that this episode and all of the information that we provide here is just a resource and a tool to help get you started on your mental health journey. If you are feeling any mental health distress or you are having any significant issues, please feel free to reach out to us so that we can find you a mental health provider in your area. Okay, let's go. Hey guys, welcome to season five. Okay, so I'm not gonna really do like a long introduction. I just really wanna get into the show this show is long overdue because I did the interview like maybe two or three weeks ago and it was supposed to come out and then something happened in my life that I will talk about um hopefully within the next few weeks and then I couldn't focus to get it done because I had to prepare for this other thing that happened and then um you know I wanted to get it out in a timely fashion but life in coronavirus in in the United States where there's every single thing is happening at any given time is always hell breaking loose and so <laughs> um I didn't get around to it but I want to say thank you to all of you guys who have supported me for the last five seasons which has technically only been four years, but the last five seasons with the show, you know, over 300,000 downloads, over, you know, 40,000 followers on social and just all of the support that you guys have been giving me has been amazing. And so I'm very excited about this upcoming season and where we go next and how far we take this from here on out. But I'm really excited to um, present the season premiere. Now, I, I asked my friend, Victoria DeCosta, to come on the show. He is a director and a producer, and he's directed two 
great movies, um, which are both documentaries. One is Digging for Welding Irvine, as my dog starts to bark in the background. Digging for Welding Irvine. And the second one is right now on HBO, which is Storm Over Brooklyn. Yo, hey, <laughs> Storm Over Brooklyn, uh, the Yusef Hawkins story. So I'm not gonna, even going to edit that my dog on the show out because he's been really, really sick lately. And I'm just glad that he's up and he's, <laughs> he's he now has the energy to interrupt my taping. So we're going to get directly into the interview right now and you know, see you. I'll see you on the on the web. Okay, so introduce yourself to our audience. My name is Victoria DeCosta out of East Flatbush, New York. So wait, are you still in New York? Because the phone number is a different area code. So. Oh yeah, I'm I'm in New York, but um, for a period I was um, out there and also was job seeking. And you know they don't want to see any foreign phone numbers just in case you know you don't live there already. So how did you become a filmmaker? Well, my journey began really with music business and DJing and engineering uh, professionally. But when I was small, I was small, I was about 12 or 13, I was writing scripts, uh, 14, 15, I had little video cameras. So I've always been documenting things, but it wasn't until about seven years ago when I stopped doing music. Um, I think the crossroad was music video. Right. And then I saw just how fun that was. And I started having ideas and I didn't really have anyone that I could trust to shoot them. And I said, let me do it myself. And that was that. Okay. All right. And you say you're from East Flatbush. East Flatbush where? Because I, I did my time in the 90s. So You're from the 90s, you said? No. Not from the nineties, but I, but my sister lived in the nineties, so we were there all the time. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, yeah, I'm I'm from the thirties. Okay, we probably. I don't even know how we became Facebook friends. Do you? Um, or like when that even happened? I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I know it's been a couple of years though. Yeah, it's been more than a couple because when I first became your mm-hmm. friend. Digging for Weldon Irving mm. um, with Irvin. Is it Irvine or Irving? It's, it's, uh, it's neither, but uh, it's, it's Irving. Irving, yes. okay. Um, but when I met you, that wasn't done. Okay. It got done last year. Um, I just remember you. Was that last year? No, I said it just got done last year. Okay. So and I've been working on it since 2015, 16. Okay, so... I guess I met you maybe right after that or right before that. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, yeah in a couple of years. Um, you, know. you know, E-Met over the, over the internet. Um, <laughs> but um, I do remember you talking about it on Facebook. And I remember looking at the trailer and thinking, well, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't re- ever watch it until last night. Right. Which it was really amazing and i want to get into that but the reason that i wanted to have you on is because of mm-hmm. yusuf hawkins um I'm over brooklyn yeah 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 and you know what your your work it has a a a general theme of just kind of like mm-hmm. the the black story but it also yeah. was really like about full of social justice issues, both of them. 
and I saw the parallels in in the the work that you were doing. But what right. what inspires you to do a project? Um, well, I hear a story, right, or I go through a story because I also write you know, films, not all documentaries. And if the story is something that can't get out of my head, I ain't got to do it. You know, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty much it. You know, it, it's like any journalist, you, you hear a lot of stories, but it's just that one story that you just can't, you can't really sleep. You know, you always want to talk about it. You know, you always want to tell the world about it. And it's like when I was DJing, I might hear a new song, and I want everybody to hear the song. And so, you know, we're going to go to the party, you're going to play it. Or I might even throw a party just so I can play, you know, this this song. So it's like the same same concept for me um and because of of how i i view things there's always a long list of these stories and i tend to go with the one that burns the most um and i can't i can't really explain it but since you are you're a therapist you probably can understand it like it's like it's almost a pain you know um that i just i just can't I can't stop. I can't. I can't not make the film. You know, and I feel like if I don't make the film, that I might like, you know, explode into flames. And so I don't. I don't play around. I just like to uh, get it off of my chest. You know, so it's almost like a physical sensation. And that might just be just what I was going through when I was making these films. You know, as well. You know, it's a whole, whole other mm-hmm. story. Um, how long did it take you to do the Yusef Hawkins um, Storm Over Brooklyn? How long did it take? Yeah. Uh, we did that. And we started in 2016. And so now, so yeah, about four years. I, you know, I so actually... Buster. Yeah, I started digging for Walter Nervine in September of 2015. That was my, my first interview. Um, and then in January 2016... I was pitched this film from one of Youssef's friends, Charles. And then in April or May of 16, I, um, I guess you could say recruited the director, Muta Ali. And, you know, and we were off. So it was two simultaneous projects. Is that why you you didn't direct this one? Because I saw you yeah. directed Digging for Weldon. Yeah. Yeah, so Digging for Walden Levine, I, I already was kind of almost knee-deep in that, and so I didn't want to get off of that for another project because I think at that point I already started raising money, I believe, and also I was just, like, into the story. Uh, another thing is that Digging for Walden Levine was my first feature documentary, but in 2016 I hadn't done any features, so... I knew that Yusuf Hawkins could not be my first because the story takes a certain amount of skill, you know, and I think that uh, Muta Ali was the perfect person to direct that because he was on his second film, his second feature film. Yeah, so those are the reasons why I said, you know what, I'm not going to direct this for you, but I will produce it and I will make sure that, you know, it comes out. I will make sure you have a team. And, you know, that's what we that's what we did. And so... Uh, I did both of those back to back um, in 2017. 
in uh, February, my mother was diagnosed with um, cancer and was stage four. And I was, uh, you could say, like a joint caregiver, you know. And so that, that was another, I guess, movie being made, I guess you could say, you know, just taking care of her. So it's, it's Easter egg is that uh, a lot of both of those movies were filmed in my mother's house. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of those movies are filmed in my mother's house because, you know, I had to stay you know, once she had space, and then two, you know, I had to kind of had to stay close to home. You know, and Jennifer Walter Irvine was uh, edited in her her um, hospital room for the most part. Edited in the hospital room, and until until she she uh, transitioned, which was April of 2018, April 9th actually. Which I don't want to spoil the film for anyone, but I know you saw it. So April 9th, 2002 is actually the day that Walter Nervine died. And so my mother and Walter Nervine passed mm-hmm. on the same day. So, you know, freaky, freaky Friday type stuff. Yeah. Say regular. None of this is regular. <laughs> no, none of it is regular because when I reached out to you on Facebook to, I was trying to get through this without crying. <laughs> when I reached out mm-hmm. to you on Facebook mm-hmm. um, to, to ask you if you wanted to do the interview, I saw that the last time that you had messaged me was when my father had passed. Mm, right. And so the twenty second of November? Um, no. My my dad died in um he died around Father's Day, like right before Father's Ooh. Day two years ago. Okay. Um but it was strange because the conversation that I intended to continue um and when I was emailing well DMing you on Facebook or PMing you on Facebook was to talk about Yusuf's dad. And okay. I was like, wow, the last time you hit me was about my dad. And then we were just, we were having this conversation about Yusuf's father right. and how I just, I know he took a lot of hits and took a lot of criticism for not being around mm-hmm. um, for his family, but he was there when he was needed, which was really when, Yusuf dad died um, because right. I, you could tell from just the brokenness of his mother that she just was in so far in her grief that yeah. she would not have been able to do any of it without Moses. Right. Um. Right. Let's backtrack a little bit because people probably don't know what we're talking what we're talking about. <laughs> you, have a, you have a documentary out right now which is is really popular. <laughs> Um, and it is called Storm Over Brooklyn, and it's the Yusuf Hawkins story. Um, so do you want to tell them about it? I do. I think maybe I should. So uh, Yusuf Hawkins, Storm Over Brooklyn is, first let me say it is on HBO as right we now. speak. Right now. <laughs> and you can see it's free right now. So even if you don't have HBO, you can put in, I'm not going to say any email address, and it's press play. You know, that's just not number one. So Yusuf Hawkins was a 16-year-old boy from uh, Brooklyn who, along with three of his friends, went to a neighborhood called Bensonhurst, which is further towards the south side of Brooklyn, and he didn't make it out of their lives. He ventured into a neighborhood that was largely Italian, Italian-American, and while there were some black people, 
and some Latinx people that lived in the neighborhood, if you were not from the neighborhood, in this particular part of the neighborhood where he, where he died, you you know, you best find your way out of there quickly, right? And this that was just on a regular day. Now, what was going on in the neighborhood, unbeknownst to the boys, is that there was a young 18-year-old woman named Gina Feliciano. Gina Feliciano, she was, uh, I said, a Puerto Rican father and an Italian mother. And she liked black people and she liked brown people. That was that was just her flow. She liked that. That that was most of her friends from school, you know, were not Italian people. And so they would come to her house and they would hang out, hang out on the block. It was summertime, they would hang out. And the guys who were from the neighborhood, they didn't like that. Um now if people do a quick Google search, you're gonna find a lot of media that says, well, Gina was dating um, a black guy and they were jealous. I haven't really found any data to say that they were jealous. Uh, a lot of the girls in the neighborhood had black boyfriends and just the word was, just don't bring them out here. You can date who you want to date. I'll kill you, date. Don't bring them out here. Um, Gina was someone that people didn't like in the neighborhood. right? So no one was jealous of her. Gina smoked crack. You know, functionally, I guess you might be able to say, there were a lot of issues there. So no one, you know, especially Keith Mandela was jealous of who Gina was dating. Um, but they did say, hey, you know, keep your, I don't know how to say the word, you know, keep your N-words and your S-words, you know, keep them out, out of here. And she was like, you can't tell me who my friends are. I, you know, and I have a birthday party coming up. They come to my party. You know, regular stuff. And uh, they pressed forward with, with the threat, you know, showing her a gun, letting her know, you know, that it's probably will be a fatal mistake if she invites them to the party. And so what she did was she told her friends, don't come to the, to the party. Those guys are going to jump you, you know, you know, it's back in the day. It was about 1989, so they're going to jump you was a big thing. Um, but... She never told the um, Italian guys, keeping them, that, he, that she coming. canceled the party. Yeah. Right. And, and she uh, she said, you know, when, when they come, they're going to, you know, they're gonna mess beat you, you up. up. I'm yeah. sorry not to curse, cause, you know, but, you know, they're going to they're gonna come at you, you know. We speak and French freely on the show. Just we speak French? All right. So, like, yo, <laughs> don't bring on the sticks out here. And she says, you know, um, my my friend's coming and kick your ass. So, Gina also happened to live uh, above a candy shop that was operated by people who were, you know, uh, associates of organized crime so i don't want to get right. i don't want you to give too much of it away oh okay cool yeah so yeah I'm i was definitely i was definitely <laughs> surprised at well now we're not surprised but i was definitely surprised when i watched mm-hmm. the documentary who actually gave some of the guys up but, right you know but we all know that usually we call them a rat so there's that right um you know what's funny it was not in the film is that there were reports that he was the one that sent them in the first place. Well, that's that. All his daughter do is date black guys. Say, say again. I said all his daughter does is date black guys. 
interesting. Well, see, again, it wasn't about dating. That 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 was that was a smokescreen that the media and some of the police created. It, it really was more about the protection of that that neighborhood, that store, and you know, and Keith Mandela. It was about yeah, it was about them just not liking Gina in the first place. There were there were a lot of things were, that were at play, but none of those things were about her dating. No, I don't. A, um, right, they tried to make it into a love triangle. But that they just mm-hmm, needed a defense. Right. I, it wasn't that. So right. So I mean, I'm a native New Yorker. I didn't actually live in New York in 1989, but okay. I watching it, it was just kind of like living parallel lives because mm-hmm. I knew friends who lived on Yusuf's block. They grew up in that area in East New York, mm-hmm. but he was from my hood in Bed Stuy, mm-hmm. which I didn't. I, I always saw the mural of him mm-hmm. um, right there on Fulton Street, but I never knew why it was in Bed-Stuy until I watched the documentary. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that they were from Brevoy Projects and or his right. mom, right? Um, yeah, he, he lived in Brevoy at the okay. time of his, his, uh, his passing, right? He also lived in Flatbush. It's another story, though. And his grandmother's house was in East New York where they were before right. things happened. And... And my family grew up right around the corner of Bainbridge. Mm, okay. So it was just kind of strange to me to kind of like see all of my, mm. my places being touched mm. by this one story. And I, I also, mm. as an adult, work in Bensonhurst. And oh, so wow, growing okay. up in old in old Brooklyn, right? Not like gentrified Brooklyn. Um, mm-hmm. I never knew where Bensonhurst was because there was no real need. I would go from Bedstuy to, you know, Flatbush to East Flatbush, but I never left those areas really. Right. Um, living on the border of Bushwick sometimes, I but I stayed in those parameters. I haven't been to Bensonhurst until I was an adult. Okay. Um, and I knew that there was the Michael the Michael Griffin, um, killing. And you know my my mind as a child, I just kind of meshed them both together. So I knew that right. Howard Beach was unsafe, but I thought that Yusuf Hawkins happened in Howard Beach. This is yeah. pre like internet or anything like that. And I also didn't live in. Right. I, I moved away from New York in 1988, but I do okay. remember this happening and me not being able to go outside um, in New York because mm. it felt like every single year. In the summertime in New York City, for a few years, there was a racial killing. Right. Um, Yusuf happened. Uh, the the Crown Heights riots happened. Like, it seemed like mm-hmm. every single year in, like, around 89, 90, like, between 90 and 92, like, it was always something mm-hmm. happening racially in New York. And New York is a melting pot, allegedly. So it's not really mm-hmm. what people think of us. I think that, you know... Yusuf was national and it let people know well yeah we're things are not great here either right right and the the the, the whole thing where they say well yeah in the, in the north racism is different not really it's different accents but in New York we think everything is better in New York but it really, it really isn't right it's just as, as deadly it's just deadly in, in different ways yeah for sure even even now, as we you know, as we can see, even now, still you can die for the color of your skin. 
Um, there's there's, there's the, the myth that New York is this sophisticated place. We know, but really it isn't. You know, especially you know, we we have so Bensonhurst was considered to be a sundown town or no neighborhood. You know, I also lived in um, Sheepshead Bay yep. for a time, and you know, I I didn't have any incidents per se, but you know, the, the fear was was real. You know, um, my, my father was the only. I think there are two black people in the whole building. It's like a big building, and he moved there in '77 with my mother, and it's just. You can tell, like, hey, okay, you live here, you're cool, but, you know, you want to have me, you know, hanging out, such things, don't do that here. You just know that, that your friends are not welcome. It's just it's a thing. Yeah. You know, I also played, um, I played baseball on Howard Beach when I was about five or six. I have no idea why they did that. Um, but, again, there's no hanging out afterwards. You're on the team, okay, cool, but, you know, see you next week. And this, this, is, uh, this is New York, this is Brooklyn, yeah. Yeah, I just couldn't go outside. If there was like was like drama or like racial tension or like something that happened, I just was not allowed to go outside. It wasn't like it was discussed, um, wasn't talked about. I had absolutely no reason to be in Bensonhurst. Um mm-hmm. and even watching the watching the documentary when his grandmother found out where they went, she was like, What in the hell? Why are they going over there? Right. But I was thinking about it. I would not have I would not even know to tell my son not to go to Bensonhurst. Right. Because, I, why would he go there? Right. And that's like the question that my mother would ask me. So I had to sue, um, in maybe 2015, 2016, to get to live in my building. Um, because I okay. live in Midwood, and there are maybe a few black people in my building now. But when I got here, there was nobody. Right. Um, and I sued twenty two landlords for racial discrimination. In order hmm. to, um, you know, it was just God was looking for an apartment and they were discriminating against me. And then I ended up getting a lawyer and we got them on tape um, wanting to rent to wow. white people and denying that they would rent to me. And so right. um, by the time I spoke to the real estate agent that I actually ended up getting this apartment by, he was like, oh my God, he looked at my credit, he looked at my work history, he looked at everything, and he, after, you know, I sued him, but he apologized, because he was like, you know, I really just wasn't thinking of it this mm-hmm. way. It was kind of like, I really wasn't seeing you as a person. Right. I Yeah, it's funny, I, I dealt with something very similar, Um, I guess it's Midwood, right, you know, right by the junction, mm-hmm. where I was looking to get into a co-op, and I had to put my business out there, but you know I had my down payment. I had, you know, I had oof, my credit at that time was was amazing. It was, you know, it was over eight. I had um, three great references. One of them was someone uh, I can't. Even, it, they were like amazing references, <laughs> like some, like you know, like a bank VP, you know, someone high in in government. It, it was you know, but the the person who was the real estate person. Uh, pretty much refused to even pass off my application to the, the co-op board. Wow. And he said something about, about him not wanting to waste his time. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, oh, okay, so this is, is what it is. And um, I did not sue. So I'm, I'm glad that, that you did get an attorney and, and you, you did uh, 
work that out. But yeah, it, it's and it's right. It's Brooklyn, right? Yeah, two thousands Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, Ain't it no was hard because I couldn't. I couldn't get a lawyer to take the case prior to mm. that. Oh, and then another okay. lawyer was like, "Well, there was other things that were happening. So it was a whole another thing that was happening." So I was trying to find a, a lawyer to um, fight something else in terms of the case, and then okay. the lawyer. That he was like, well, I can't take the case. There's nothing that I can help. I can help you do, but call these people, because um, it sounds like you have a lawsuit. And I was like, what? I like, I need an apartment. I don't really not worried about that right now. Right. Um, but once I got into the weeds of of what the laws were and what they were violating and like what was happening, um, yeah, that's what happened. And my mom, who's a, she's older, Brooklyn. My mother was like, well, why? Mm-hmm. Why do you? Why are you staying there to fight? Like, why do you want to live there if they don't want you there? They don't want you there. That's what my mother said. Right. And I was like, um, well, they got to pay me for my pain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once she found out, like, what cases like mine were being sell- pay- paid out for, she just let it go. <laughs> she just was okay. like, I. Um, and so when we right. moved into my building, um, my son was in high school and he couldn't get into my apartment, like was fiddling with the keys. And I, I just told him to leave the building. Mm. Just leave the building and I'll wait for me outside because I did not want them to see a young black boy fiddling with keys in this building. And mm. there, weren't, there weren't any black people in here when I got here. Right. So I was like, go outside. Um. So just kind of having that fear, I definitely cried when I saw, you know, both documentaries, but definitely when I saw Yusuf, because it really, it's so timely. Um, it's necessary. Uh, it's a, unfortunately, it's a, a familiar story as a grown up now. I remember hearing these stories as a child and be like, oh, that's sad, but being disconnected from it. But living my life as an adult and knowing that there are so many battles that we as black people have to fight every single day, that's exhausting. Um, And so Mm -hmm. to know that there were so many different incidents that race has played uh, in the the deaths of my people or the, the oppression of my people, it was just, it was a lot. And then that when it came out, there was so much civil arrest unrest happening in the country with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and everything, Ahmaud Arbery, everything else was going on. And then COVID. Um, yeah. It, it just was a lot for me. It was a lot. And then to see Yusuf's mother, mm-hmm. um, I obviously I identified with her the most and, and his grandmother and just kind of almost how shell-shocked they were by everything that was happening. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a lot to absorb, and to be honest with you, I would have avoided it. I would not have watched it, um, just knowing enough about the story. But when I think you were posting on Facebook, and I knew that you did, and I was like, I'm gonna watch it this weekend. I remember I hit you up being like, Yeah, I'm gonna look at it this weekend, and then wait, waiting till Sunday, <laughs> and then watching it on Sunday, and I was like, Oh God. Um. Yeah, it's it's uh it's tough and it's not for every time, you know. You you really have to It is for every with time it. though. Oh what, what I mean is that, you know, you, you can't just watch it on a random you know, you gotta you gotta brace yourself 
Um, and I really think you know our, our discussion guide is is very important as a companion piece to, uh, to watch the film because you know the, the one thing we didn't want to do is leave everybody hanging, you know, or or get the yeah that was that that's that's right that's true that's true you know we want to give people the tools to critically analyze uh, the film in terms of of today and also to figure out you know what are some solutions and we have some grassroots community organizations that we're familiar with or work with that people can be pointed towards if they want to actually do something about what they have analyzed about today. But yeah, but it, it definitely is not, it's not a feel good. You know, I would think we end with a smile kind of, it's not really a feel good thing. It, it is um, a resource and a tool for liberation in the way that, that I uh, envisioned this film as a producer. I mean, it was an amazing film and it was done beautifully. But all I kept thinking, and I, t- I told you this, was like, thank God for Moses. And mm. it's hard. I, I would assume that it would be hard for the mother, his mo- um, um, Yusuf's mother. I don't know her name. Um, Diane. Mm-hmm. Diane. I, it would be hard for Diane because she stayed. And she raised these three boys by herself with the help of her family. And then he came back. Like it almost felt divine that he was there for that last year. Oh yeah. Um, and then there to yeah. to like keep the wolves at bay afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um right. I was sad to see that they couldn't that they couldn't put it past them, but I also know what right. that trauma looks like. Um it, I can't imagine losing a son, but losing a son and then having the resentments. But he did his job. Mm-hmm. I really felt like he did his job. He, he did, you know. Sometimes Rolling Stone, not, not necessarily a bad thing. He came in and, and, and he came out. But he, he stayed, he might not have been in the uh, in the, the household, but he definitely did stay within uh, the movement uh, for some years, I believe, until his death, working with the National Action Network on on other, you know, cases and events. So he, he definitely, he um, he stuck around in the community since, at least. Yeah. But, you know, so I, I just actually was talking to someone yesterday. I, I hadn't realized that both of my films, you know, Didn't Fall Intervene and Film Over Brooklyn, which I produced, have uh, the early departure of um, the father in the film. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, what really got me in digging for Weldon Irving was when it was revealed that he had a son. Because I was like, damn, like he's gonna, he's growing up without his dad. Like that was, that hurt me. That was really what like made me cry. And then he looks just like him. Yeah, he does. Um, And just that storyline of like his dad leaving and, you know, the circumstances around his mom like it was just um it was very moving what attracted you to Weldon's story really it was that Weldon had so many credits under his belt and not just his discography just Weldon was a mentor to so many people and Weldon was the the founder of so many different sounds and styles, but he's someone that no one knew, someone that I didn't know, someone that 
in 2015, you know, you could search for him online and you wouldn't find hardly anything. You wouldn't find music. You wouldn't find a bio, right? And to me, that was just sad that this person was just did so much for everyone else, but was, was unknown, you know, and would remain unknown. And was a genius. And, right. And then, you know, also... The, the suicide piece, you know, I, I have, I have five uh, friends who died by suicide, you know, in my life, starting from back when I was nineteen, and so that's always an, an important topic to me, and I wanted to talk about that in public. So, you know, again, you know, this is just really about my pain, you know, in a certain aspect, mm-hmm. and me just expressing my thoughts about these tragic scenarios that, that Walden went through, you know, because like I said, you know, I did music for a long time and, and, you know, I, I felt, you know, forgotten, you know, about certain things that I had influence on or things I had a part of. And so I, I totally, I mean, obviously not on the scale of Walden Levine, you know, but I totally got it in principle. And, um, yeah, so that, so those were the things that really had me latch on to the, to this story. How did you even know about him? Well, since I've never heard of Walt Levine, uh, a friend of mine who became executive producer, his name is G. Clef Cavasino, he was one of Weldon's mentees, as Walden would call him, his last disciple. And G. Clef would tell me all the time that I reminded him of his friend Walden. Now, since Walden died in 2002, so this is maybe about 10 years after his death. And you hear the name Walden Ravine. It's like, whatever, that's a goofy name. But, you know, and I wasn't at all into jazz music. And so I was really disinterested in Walden and whatever comparison but that was made between Walden and myself. So you've heard, we've heard Walden. Say again? I said, you're, you're into hip-hop. So we've heard Walden. I don't want to well, give it away, but we've heard well, Weldon. Yeah, so yeah, we definitely heard Weldon. <laughs> I'm, I'm more into I'm more into soca. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm more into soca, but yeah, but what? but definitely you you have to be yeah. You know, I'm Caribbean man. I love soca. Soca, free the world. But you know, um, you don't even have to even like hip hop to hear Weldon's influence. You know, no. as you'll see in the film, you can like anything. You know, if you like Nina Simone, you like Weldon. If you like I mean, just the things that he's done and people who's influenced, it's, it's really in every aspect of, of music, from rock, whatever. Um, but then, so one day, I, I just, uh, I will admit, it was the hip-hop connection that I knew that G-Clef knew Weldon's family, right? Um, and so I think I was trying to produce at that time. And I was thinking about sampling. It's like, hmm, well, if I sample them, then it'll be easy contact to the family to get the sample cleared, you know, because you don't really want to go through different organizations to do that. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I Googled, and I didn't find, like I said, a lot of music. What I, what I did find, um, I didn't appreciate, you know, definitely not how I appreciate it now. I mean, now I love jazz. I love fusion. You know, I don't know what I've been doing for the rest of, you know, the rest of my life, but jazz is it now. But, um... What I did find, though, was a bio on someone named Collis Davis's site. And Collis was one of Walden's childhood friends, and he did 
a thesis film at NYU in 76 about Weldon, which is some of that is in the film. And he told Weldon's whole life story, and, and that's when I found out how Weldon left the earth. And so I called back G. Clefum like that. I didn't know this happened. Like, yeah, I told you what happened, you know. And that's, that's, actually, that's his voice. That's his voice. I'm pretty cool. Anyway, so I thought um, I I it happened. About. <laughs> yeah, I thought it happened. And I was like, dang, I didn't, you know, sorry, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize. And he said, you should do a documentary about it. And at that point, I had already did about four or five short films. And the last film I did, uh, Love Seat, was a silent short and people liked it and it made, you know, made some, some tracks and it was the first time people kind of respected me being a filmmaker and so he suggested I do a documentary about it and I was like, all right, I'll do that and I thought it would take three months because I foolishly thought that whatever I saw online was all there was okay. to know. No. Yeah, I mean, you know, now I know, now I know a lot different. Um, and, you know, obviously it, it took four years. I just completed it last year. But, yeah, it much like Yusef Hawkins' story, you know, when I went on to produce that, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about Yusef Hawkins. I mean, I have yet to do a film that was my idea, that I just sat down. It's something that someone came to me with. And um, I'm doing that now, though. I'm working on, on my own stuff now. But, yeah, that's how that, that's how that happened. So, uh much respect to G. Clef, much respect to Charles Darby, you know, for entrusting me with that idea, you know. And I, I'm glad that you sent it to me because I, I went into it like sight unseen. I did, I knew that he was a musician from watching the trailer mm-hmm. on your page, but I previously, mm-hmm. but it felt like so long ago. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I like simply thought it was gonna be lighter. <laughs> than Yusuf's story but mm-hmm. um, I did see Darker. the themes but no you know what it was mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going I knew he was not alive because of the way people were talking about him and he wasn't in right. it. he wasn't in it so that was one thing I was amazed at how much footage of him you had like, mm-hmm. there was so much footage and audio and he recorded everything um, so well, that was very everything. nice he he would be sitting there having a conversation and he'd pull out his boom box and he recorded and put it on cassette tape. And if he liked the conversation good enough, he would dub it and then he would he would go around and he might pass you a copy of it or pass someone else a copy of it and maybe throw some music on it. But he he recorded everything and maybe two and a half years into the interview um, a great, 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 great friend of Walden's, um, Marjorie Moon, uh, from the Billy Holiday Theater fame, you know, from she... From my hood. Right, yeah. right there. It's the best, I think. I'm, you know, I'm from Flappers, but it's the best, it's best uh, so far with me, know, I guess. You know how it goes. You know how it goes. I'm never going to move there, but, you know, I mean, hey. Um, okay. I mean, that, that's the Harlem of Brooklyn, that's you know. That's right. That's how you know what it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... So she um, called Weldon's son and I over, and she just had like three, four boxes of of stuff, mm-hmm. and that included about a hundred cassette tapes. And this is after I already did about thirty, forty interviews of actual people. 
And it felt like, well, she definitely felt like I deserved to hear these things and, and to read these things, like photos, letters, and everything. Uh, because Weldon and Marjorie Moon, they, they lived together. And, um, you know, I felt also it was like one of those things like when the student is ready, the master will come. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, I was able to just uh, really experience Weldon and different aspects of Walden, hear his voice, and, and that's when I really went in. I already was in, but then I was really in, you know, in tune. And um, that's why you'll see in the film different cassette, uh, cassette players and, and tapes. I really wanted Walden to narrate the film. I was inspired by I'm Not Your Negro, how they had, you know, they had Sam Jackson, it's literally right. on my TV right now. Yeah, yeah. you know, that, that was an inspiration. You know, we had Sam Jackson read Baldwin. I didn't know it was Sam Jackson, actually, until uh, the end. But that inspired me. It's like, oh, wow, you can have a documentary without a narration. Oh, that's cool. And so there was a little bit of pushback from some of the team, you know, in regards to that. But once I had those tapes, like, nah, Walden has to narrate this himself. And, um, yeah, so shout out to I Am Not Your Negro. Um, yeah, that's, that's how that happened. What was prevalent to me was the mental illness um, mm-hmm. in the film. Um, mm-hmm. And when I saw Layla, of course, obviously I thought of her dad mm-hmm. and how he passed. And to see... Yeah. Um, when I saw Nina, I was like, oh, crap. Like, it felt like mental illness was following him right. on his path, just kind of the way you, you laid it out in the show or in, in the documentary. So it was just, I was kind of waiting for something else to happen. And just looking at him, he just looked so sad to me. Yeah. Um. Even when his when I don't know if that was his grandmother or his mother, and she was like she would scold him, and then he grandmother would, right. That was his grandmother. Yes. Um. Because it's his. Uh... Um. Um. When she she said she would scold him and she'd tell him what to do, and when he was finished, or when she was done, mm-hmm. he, he'd be like, "Are you finished?" And he would just go downstairs and play. Right. Like he just felt so introspective and sensitive and isolated. That right. you can see that there was there was something brewing underneath the surface all the time, and then we got to the part about him talking about that look mm-hmm. um, that he gives, and he was like he would just practice it in the mirror and just be like, "Well, then you have to calm down. Mm-hmm. You got to look cool." It was just, it was very moving. Well, you know. <laughs> So you could see all that, right? You're, you're a professional. No, but I you know, know what and, that and, and, is. And I'm, I'm just being right. a human being, I know what that is to to be able, to have to like bring yourself down, even when you're not feeling mm-hmm. that. Like I'm a human being first, so just kind of having right. that space in my life where I don't feel okay, but I'm telling myself I have to be okay so that things will be okay. Right. But you know, I, I think the, the, the lay person wouldn't see a, prob- a problem with that. Well, yeah, I want to label it a problem, problem right? but it was—it's it, right. not a problem 
Mm-hmm. But I could, you can look at him and tell the incongruence in like what he was feeling and like this mm-hmm. this way, like he 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 was smart as hell. He was like I said, he was a yeah. genius. Like just, I don't, I, I just I saw myself in a lot of it because I could kind of see how where mm-hmm. trends are going and where things are going and like, but he was so quick with it, and mm-hmm. he wasn't afraid to like tell people. Right, <laughs> not at all. You know not what I mean? All. Like, yo, this is what's happening. I see this. I'm, I'm like, he's, he was like, like a master chess player. Like he mm. saw the, 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 the next three moves. Right. But he still wasn't able to like capitalize on it, and I think that that's probably just the, it, not probably. That's the, the issue with genius is that when you have it, you, you know, you have it, it comes easy to you. It's effortless. And so you just assume mm-hmm. that other people will see it as genius, but you don't really acknowledge mm-hmm. it because it's all, you know. Right. Well, you, you know, so one thing about one, he, he, he definitely acknowledges genius and you know, and I think he, people yes. did too. They just, they just didn't pay it back. But you know, well, some people did pay it back. You know, it's not sitting. No one paid it back. The other pieces that Weldon, by my estimation, did not want to be a star, right? He uh, definitely didn't want to have enough money to take care of what he had to take care of, you know, on his end. But there's this this, this thing where you you don't you do have a a love for exalting other people and putting them on. He loved that. He he loved to go back to Jamaica Queens and find someone. To uh to put on to the game and he worked you know, he hard. Loved that. He, yeah, yeah, but you know, but 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 me too, me too, please, you know, me too. And then he got, you know, he felt like he got blackballed from the industry. And remember, you know, you bring up in the beginning that he his outlet was to play the piano. His outlet was to create and. Towards the end, you know, speaking of the chess moves, you know, it, it's like you have all the pieces, but they no longer can move because, you know, he said he didn't feel like he could create anymore. And that's you know, what he and, was, and that, that was his end. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I, end. Yeah, I mm-hmm. could I could see that. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think after a while, because he saw two steps ahead of everybody else, once he couldn't see the future, he just didn't see a future. Mm-hmm. And I know that yeah. suicide is horrible, but it it felt like an end. Right. And I I, I kind of like like I said I was very sad to see that he had a son, but I but I got it once I saw right. that he had a son. Because mm. it felt like it was a continuation of his own story with his dad, and then to see that his son is into music, like when you guys, you know, I never even thought about it, anybody being raised on Hampers. Hamptons campus like that's just like not a real thing to me (laughs) you know people go to work at Hampton and then they go home but he was literally raised there um I don't know it's an an amazing story well thank you I appreciate that I appreciate you you're a great storyteller thank you uh you know I'm just gonna say yes I am you know knock on wood I I come from a long line of them 
You, you got to. Because <laughs> that, that ends up bad. But, uh, Listen, yeah, you know, I am a great storyteller. Not bullshit if you could back it up. That's what my therapist says. Uh, right. So I, I think I think just being a part of two amazing stories, and I say being a part because, you know, I, I definitely, you know, have great teams and, Yusuf Hawkins, you know, the director was was great. It, it was it was his idea to even focus on the family so so much. Um, I'm not sure if that would have been my choice, you know. So it's but like it was he, a story that was missed in all of it, though. Right. Even you know, even like uh, down to the to the the, the drone shots, you know, and, and the the graphics that were used. Like the red and blue dots, you know, it's like that. That was all his idea, and you know, so yeah, he has a great mind. But yes, I have been a part of um, two great feature films, um, and I just can't wait to keep on telling more stories. You know, working on some other things, uh, less traumatic, you know, because I I need to breathe and I, I need to, you know, release. I don't need to I really don't... be. I don't really, I mean, I got, I got the racism in Weldon's story. Mm -hmm. I got the, you know, intergenerational trauma in his story. Mm -hmm. I got, you know, the inherited genius in his story and the love and the care that they put into that boy who became Mm -hmm. that man. Um, And I got the legacy, like, you know, ending it on his son and like his son being a musician now and what he's all into. Like that was nice. Um, for me, but it's just knowing that he didn't know. I for, Like I said, I told you I was watching it, but I was braiding my hair last night. So I missed, mm-hmm. I saw the EAB and then Bank mm-hmm. and then I, I saw um, the young guy talking about being on the bus. But I missed what was in between. Don't, 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 don't. I missed what was in between. Okay. And I was watching, you sent it to me on my, like in the email, but I watched it on my TV and I had to pos- oh. position the TV just so that I couldn't <clears throat> see everybody, like the captions at the bottom and I couldn't, and I couldn't, I couldn't okay. rewind. So I watched it in one set. I couldn't rewind. I couldn't pause it. I couldn't do anything. Right. So I watched it in one setting. So I didn't want to rewind it, but I got nice. what happened after by continuing to watch. Um, okay. But what I thought happened was something different. Um, and so it, I I think you, you told the story of the life of, of a black man who's talented and has genius, but oppression and the mob <laughs> stops mm-hmm. us sometimes. But even how he hustled his way out of that was just yeah. like crazy. I don't think he cared that yeah. much for stuff. But I think that once he realized that he couldn't, he could no longer create. He and he put everything in his son's name. I think he was like, if I, if I'm allowed to be here, and the fact that he almost gave it all away, I think he was like, yo, let me leave now so that I leave him with something that's worth Mm. something. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I regret not, not, not to. Yeah, and, 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 there, and there are there are. So, well, first of all, I, I want I want to say that I definitely appreciate you seeing so much um, positive, you know, in the story because it it definitely was a task, and not to, you know to make it a doom and gloom piece. But definitely, I was knee deep in doom and gloom 
throughout the whole process. Um, but, you know, as far as his exit, like, there, there are just so many things that came to play at once, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, some things that, that weren't in the film, there's some things that, you know, I was asked not to, to speak on. Okay. You know, but one thing that I definitely um, would never do, especially publicly, is directly link his son to anything that has to do with that. Because, um, you know, that's, some, that's something that, you know, that might definitely be inferenced or it might be a natural deduction, but I just would I, not want. I think I'm missing, you know. I think I'm missing something because I don't know what we're talking about now. I just. Oh, um, the, the reason why he, he, he left and leaving no, his no, son. No, 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 no. I'm not saying oh, okay. that he did it because of his, his son. I'm saying okay. that when you when you are a creator and you there's a legacy mm-hmm. to be left, I think sometimes mm-hmm. you feel like if if you can't you can no longer do that thing to like feed your family mm-hmm. and like that's he he only had music yeah mm-hmm. and then he had this person but you know sometimes we look at well what can we leave behind what's our legacy and right. the music was his legacy right and so the fact that he left his his catalog to his son and put everything in his, his son's name that was major but I don't think he felt like in that way, musically, that there was more he would be able to contribute to that legacy. Mm. So that's what I mean. As far as uh, creative-wise. Right. Creative-wise and monetarily. Like, that's how he made his right, living. Right, right. Right. He did other things, that's, but that's that's just put food on the table. Right. But being a creator was how he made his living. Well, I, I know he purpose. was let down but by some folks. Um, in, in that way, um, I know that he was owed some money as well. Yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of things. And then that last sale, but again, mm-hmm. again, Quincy. Yep. Well, I wasn't gonna say it, mm-hmm. but that yeah, cool. <laughs> he, he he also has a similar path because his mother is mentally ill. Mm. I know that. You didn't know that. Mm-mm. Yeah, so you know I psychoanalyze everything. So Quincy did not. Quincy is not known to date a lot of black women. Right, we this we know. Right, but his mother was mentally ill. She she had been in mental mental hospitals for the majority mm. of his childhood, and his mother his father mm. remarried. From what I remember from his documentary. His father remarried, mm. and people they used to tease him so bad about his mother mm. that I think I think it's another reason why he kind of internalizes black women with like those kind of problems. That is interesting. That is interesting. Is that in the Quincy documentary? Not the psychoanalytic piece of it, but the fact that his mother was his mother was in mm. and out of hospitals. His I believe his father mm. remarried, and he was always he was relentlessly teased about the fact that she was in psych hospitals. Why everybody knew in the like early 30s, 40s, whenever he was mm-hmm. a kid, I don't know. But he was deathly afraid of his mother. Mm. Now, I don't know if there was any trauma, or if there was anything that happened, but he, when she came, I believe when she came out of the hospital to see him, he didn't want nothing to do with it. Mm. So I don't know what he knew about Weldon's story, but just the delay, nothing. just kind of like, well, I'll get back to you in two weeks or a week, and then he never called back. Right. I was he, he. I don't think he likes being reminded of anything that's similar to his situation. And my, right. why? That's why I was able to make that? Huh? 
No, that's, that's very interesting. Very interesting. And why I was able to make that reference is, is maybe just my, maybe I'm projecting because my dad's mother was murdered. Mm. And my father would never in a billion years look at a dark-skinned woman. Mm. And my his his mother was dark-skinned. I mean, in a billion years. He dated one dark-skinned lady from what I was told, and he just relentlessly tormented her. Because mm. when your mom is like, that's your, your love object, you just, you don't know what to do with that. If Right they don't accept you or if there's abandonment that's you know i love so you know protection and not i love the fact that um never you know when i was on the film festival circuit um with the film i just love the people's theories and people's ideas because that because i think that the film is good because you can make it very personal to yourself. Cause, cause we all know what Weldon, we all are, some parts of us are Weldon. Um, and so I, I just love to hear all of the things that, that could be, cause then it, it kind of becomes not a documentary anymore, right? It becomes just a, a narrative film that you just wonder what, what, what happened is like turn to page 21. If you think this, and then towards, you know, back in the day, you had those books. So, yeah, I mean, I love it. That that's very, that's very um, interesting. Yeah. correlation between those two and i'm also thinking about it right now and just kind of that what i know about narcissism and you know mm-hmm. mother abandonment um in your mm-hmm. formative years i think that weldon had a touch of narcissism and narcissism kind of gets a bad rap mm-hmm. because of just the, ex- the extremities of it but you would have to mm-hmm. be narcissistic in order to just fight against every single thing telling you as a black person that you're not worthy or you're not worth it. Mm-hmm. And then still be able to be like, nah, I'm the best thing since sliced bread and a genius. And literally mm-hmm. step into that. Like the confidence that he exuded in everything that he did and the, the obsession and per- perfectionism that he he got from everything, being self-taught, I mean, it was just it was amazing. I don't want to like gush over it, but no, it was really gush over. I heard that, <laughs> but uh, no, no, it uh, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, I mean, it's funny because uh, in Gary, Indiana, actually, I, I won the award there the Gary Black International Film Festival. Um, a young woman did say that Walden was not a narcissist, and I haven't heard that since. So it's just, it's just like I said, I just love hearing different ideas about about Weldon and who he was and why he was. Um, yes, that's interesting that, that you said that. I heard that I heard that once, and it's based upon something that he said in the film um, in regards to Nina. But yeah, I'm just so, so appreciative that I was able to take... Oh, well, Nina um, was too, though. Mm-hmm. Nina was too. I mean, you have to be... We live in a world where black people are told all the time that we're not enough, that we're not good enough, we're not, right. we're not, we're not enough. Right. And so in order right. to be like, man, F what y'all talking about, I could still get in and do I'm the greatest. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have to have you have to have an over exaggerated sense of importance to like fight through the minutia right. of oppression. Right. And still show up and to succeed. But the, the problem with narcissism is that when you don't get that adulation, like when you don't get the, the accolades that come along with mm-hmm. being the greatest 
that that's when mm. the eternal struggle happens. Right. But he had enough right. humility still to be like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to do this next thing. Mm. And I'm going to humble yeah. myself and I'm going to ask questions mm-hmm. and I'm going to study and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this next thing and I'm going to master it and y'all going to respect me. Which is like, uh, and at that age, right, at 50, she tried a new art form. We're going to say a little bit, right, a new art form. And his friend, you know, Bob Schumer was like, are you crazy? Cause especially since hip-hop was so violent at that time. It was 88. And it's like, yeah, I can do that. And, you know, and he's so he's so far, I don't, I don't want to say old, but, you know, he ain't, he's not a sprint chicken. No. <laughs> Probably better say old. But, you know, he ain't sprint chicken, and he just, like, goes into this new art form. And it's, you know, it's like, you know, who do you think you are? And and he wasn't horrible at it. <laughs> yeah, wasn't horrible at it. Yeah. And, and people are. Stretch and Papito yeah. and, like, you know, all of my D, Rich Medina, everybody that I would use in my to stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see all of these people in the movie and, like, have most deaf be, be talking and Q-tip, like, it was, mm-hmm. I was glad that, that it had that transition. But mm-hmm. just to see where he started, I didn't know he wrote Young Gifted and Black. Like Young Gifted and Black right. is the only song by Nina Simone I knew until mm-hmm. um I'm not gonna sing it, Feeling Good. And I never knew that Feeling Good was Nina Simone. I didn't know that was a woman because her voice was so deep. Mm-hmm. And the, okay. the only version of Young Gifted and Black I really knew knew was Aretha. And to know that that was what caused the rift in, in that relationship was crazy. So, I mean, where can they watch? We Don't Storm Over Brooklyn is on HBO right now. You can go and put in your mama's yes. email and get it, watch it for free. Um. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, yeah. <laughs> um, or if you want, you can get the HBO Max free trial or you just get HBO, you know, because HBO does come with They've been coming with it. HBO been coming with it. You got... Um, yeah, they have black movies. I mean, to show in you, yeah, I mean, you know, HBO is coming with great content, and I do appreciate them. Um, our the production company, Lightbox, that was behind the film, ABFF, which is the American, American Black the Film, film Festival. Festival. Yeah, I mean, just an amazing group of people and organizations that made this happen. So, yeah, maybe get HBO. I don't know. Um, the Digging for Naveen. If you're listening to this between September 8th and September uh, 13th, 2020, I know they're going to come back also in the future and be archiving this this great show. Uh, you can go to the Richmond International Film Festival and you can see it there. Okay. Um, and that, that'll be rvafilmfestival.com or just, you know, you just search Richmond International Film Festival and you can see it there. But, um, as far as public platforms, we are still working on that. Uh, look for a home. We actually did send it to uh, Quest TV, which is uh, Quincy. So now that I know what I know, it might be like, nah, it's my mama's story. I mean, it's um, not, it's not know, the same exact thing, but. Yeah, but you know how, how these things work. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 and it, I'm not sure like he was the, not like the inference of like the, the ending. Yeah. That inference is a big inference. I mean, and I've seen that inference go a couple of ways about a couple of people. We, we, you know, we the people who, who... that off air. I know what I'm okay, thinking. Okay, cool. You, save, you saving me? Say. You saving me? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. But there, there, there's different ideas about what happened there. But just follow the hashtag, uh, digging for Weldon Irving, or just Weldon Irving, and that's W-E-L-D-O-N-I-R-V-I-N. And um, on on social media, I am showing some outtakes of things that I couldn't fit in the film. The film is almost two hours, and it was about to be three hours. So I had just so much that I couldn't fit in the film because of, you know, convention they say don't make it you know so long i mean um, i could kind of see it being like a netflix you know a series right? series yeah yeah the, so the initial idea was a five-part series because it would and you can you can do yeah, two hours or an hour on every decade that's amazing mm-hmm. like you really don't see that much content for somebody who is not like young right right now, the, when his sister was talking about his mother's death and she was like, well, that night that he, Irving was performing, I mean, Weldon, Jesus Christ, Weldon mm-hmm. was performing, mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. that wasn't taped from that night. That wasn't taped from that night, you say? The ta- okay, so you played a tape of... I'm talking about, do you think that's a, a re... What do you call that? A re... Um, no, no, I no, know no, how no. you say that word. I'm, I, I know that that was them, him and his sisters, okay. but that wasn't from that particular night no it, it was um the funeral weekend so it was maybe a few weeks Crap. later mm-hmm. okay no i didn't yeah, think it so was the exact time because she was saying how they all he when after his mother passed away him and his sisters he like he was entertaining his sisters and so there was right, a so... thing about um muhammad ali fighting the kangaroo <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um but I didn't. I didn't think that that was actual audio from that weekend, which is just yeah. amazing. Every he taped everything, Nick. Every like everything, and this is back in what sixty. I forget five. And just he to taped listen that. to them listening to to themselves, and and even when you played mm-hmm. the song, and his son was like, "That's I'm on this." Yeah. Not ill, right? I'll people should know I edited it that myself. I just want in case I may get a job doing the editor. I, I did edit it myself. <laughs> um, cause I couldn't afford to have anyone else edit it. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's very, very important to, to have that. And as a DJ, that's kind of like me bringing back certain themes here and there. A lot of teasing and then a lot of full reveals. You know, I, like I considered the whole thing just like me DJing for a couple of, of, uh, of, of hours. Now, um, is your sister a therapist? She is. Okay. She is. Because I noticed that too. Yes. Her name is uh, Jasmine. Jasmine. She's sometimes known as Jet Setting Jasmine. But I think in, in here, she's Jasmine DeCosta. And she she is a therapist. She, she is a proud black woman therapist. herself. Okay. All right? We need y'all. We yeah. Need y'all. I, saw, I saw her credits. I was like, wait a minute. Because <laughs> um, it definitely yeah. seemed like the movie was, you know, in all of your projects, but the movie was a family affair. Yeah, I wanted to get you actually in the film, but I just couldn't find the uh, the, the time to um, schedule someone who just I just didn't know because I couldn't get like whenever I wanted. But yeah, you definitely were. This this is this what they know. Well, we family, but we family, family. Like you got your sister in there. But, I was like, I was glad to see that though. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, me, me too. I wish I had got on on, um, on actual Can video, we, and maybe yeah. I will add that to the uh, the film. But just you know. Um, 
I forget what it was. We did have a brief a brief online convo about something related, and um, I was going to ask you to be a part, but I just run out of time, and I was like, yo, sis, you just like call me, and we just do this. But yeah, so you might have to be my next joint. Hey, listen, whenever you need, if, if you, whenever you need I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> you, you ain't that far. I appreciate 30's that. up the block, so. Oh, no, I don't live anymore. Oh, okay. Where are you but, now? Uh, yeah, I said that. Yeah, I said that. I don't, think, I don't live anymore. But um, I can't, I'll tell you off air. I didn't mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't I'm not going to I'll, I'll tell you when we hang. Okay. Huh? Um, Look, great, because this is going to be, your your podcast is, is amazing. So people are going to hear this podcast. Okay. All and, right. I, and I'm funny style because I'm from where I'm from. So I I'll already know what it is. But, uh, <laughs> um, um. I want to move to Africa, though. Oh, I came back from Africa in January. Very interesting. Mm. Tell the people where to find you. I, I would say that you just... My name is Victorious DeCosta, D-E-C-O-S-T-A. Um, Victorious, V-I-C-T-O-R-I-O-U-S. And I would just say this. You can find me on Facebook under that name, Instagram, and, yeah, that's how you find me. Okay. If you want to find me. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. I wasn't, like, this is going to be this the premiere for this season. And I mm-hmm. didn't plan on having a show out before um, September 11th. Um, okay. But mm-hmm. I wanted to get you on because the, the documentary is so amazing. And we need those streams. And I definitely want to tell more people about it. It's very timely. Um, unfortunately, it's it's going to be all timely because this is just kind of like the status of black people in America. But hopefully right. things will change sooner than later. Um, so I really appreciate the work that you do. Right. I'm um, in the work that I've I've been invited to see. Um, but I can't wait to see what you do next. Yeah, it's going to be ill. And I just want to say September 11th. Um, that that is what ultimately I already know. Knocked, I already know. Stop telling the whole movie. Yeah. I know, but I was wondering. Don't, don't, don't no, don't tell the whole movie. And okay, cool. Okay. And then when he did did the interview, that was around my birthday. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Yeah. So. Okay. Cool. Well, well, thank you. Look out for the four tops documentary, everybody. You doing a four tops documentary? Yeah, directed by. Um, Montez Payton. Oh! Uh, you and Montez, you know Montez? doing that? You know I know Montez. It's probably how we know oh, each other. Oh, maybe we met through Montez. Yeah, so yeah, Montez is directing that. Um, yeah, Montez and I had a conversation uh, many years ago. Um, well, maybe like They don't know what, what we're talking ago. about. My friend, his name is Montez Payton, and his dad was in the Four mm-hmm. Tops, so... Yeah, so maybe, maybe we met through Montez. So I, Montez and I go back a long, long, long time, and about eight years ago, we talked about our fathers, and um, we talked about how he's able to see his father moving and talking, and you know, and, and you know, I am not, you know, and this is a blessing. And then he spoke about, I think we both spoke about, we both don't have um, pictures with our father, you know. Um, I mean, I, I do when I was a, you know, a small boy, but none. Um, in adulthood or teenage years, and my father passed when I was, you know, in my thirties, and so we just talked about that, us not having that, and thought about doing documentaries together, and so we started finally working on it 
I would say last year, we went around, we got Smokey, um, we got Mary Wilson uh, from the Supremes in there. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, we, you know, doing a little summon. So that that is coming. Oh, that is coming up next. It. Right? Let me fire, right? Y'all heard it here first. And, yeah. yeah, I can't wait to see what that's going to look like because I know, like, Montez always talks about his dad. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that that large shadow it casts on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's going to be another family piece. Another family piece about, you know, about, about the effect, it's about uh, effect on families. Yeah, and I don't be mean to, but it just be the vibe. It just be the vibe. This is this is how yeah. we started. This is how we ended it. Right. Well, you know. but you know what? Not a. Mm-hmm. There's not enough stories from that perspective, though. Right. Um, and black men don't talk about the dad issues ever. So. Nah, but not well, not ever. But m- many of us don't. That's especially the only not thing I wish that there was more of in. Weldon's story is his son. Mm. And I don't know how okay. painful that was or, you know, what that what that looks like for him. But that was more, mm-hmm. I wish I knew more. Like, it felt like a shock to me when I found out mm. he had a kid. Yeah, no. it, like, that was really what just kind of made me lose it. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, I mean, that, that's what it was. Therefore, because I feel um, like when people come to me and they're like, "Don't, I'm crying already," but it it really that was kind of like really what made me release in the movie because I was just I was watching and everything else made sense, but that Mm. part of it was like, "Wow, he had a kid." Yeah, I just assumed the music would be his legacy alone. Yeah, and and his son, uh, his name is Fargo, as in Wells Fargo, Wells as in Weldon. He is a um, a pretty good artist. He's pretty good. Still, yeah. Uh, well, his first pretty good. If you want to follow him? I mean, you just go to Fargo Wavy. Gotcha. I believe his Instagram is. Yeah. So yeah, thank thanks for having me. You know, you gonna have perhaps uh, Montez and I on next time or something like that. But I also have some other stuff down the pipe. I don't you know, know that, about that, having Montez on because yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> when we two, when I'll both of us get together, statement. sometimes we don't, we don't act, we don't act right. So, <laughs> right, yeah. And you know what's funny thing is the la- very last time mm-hmm. I saw Montez in person was at um American Black Film Festival. No, not ABFF. Up here in the city, the urban world, probably the urban world. Yep, mm-hmm. that's the very last time that I saw him in person. And he was working there, I believe. Yep. yep. Yeah, so that might have been two years ago. He was working there. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, okay, Montez they, they don't care. Yeah. They don't care nothing about us and Montez and our personal stuff. So, but I'm glad <laughs> to have you on. Um, and thank you, thank you. Storm over Brooklyn, Yusef Hawkins' story. It's on HBO yes. right now. Boom, Flatbush. Let the record show. I let him get the last word. He's rapping Flatbush. I'm rapping Bed Style Brooklyn. I left it in. I could have edited that out, y'all. I could have edited that out, but I want him to rep his set, okay? So there that is.
<laughs> Once again, we want to thank our guest, Victoria DeCosta, for coming on to the show and going out there and stream Storm Over Brooklyn. It's on HBO right now. On any platforms, you can go on HBO Go, you can download it on HBO Now. There are so many different ways to watch it. And hopefully, hopefully, you guys will get to see Digging for Weldon Irvine because it was an amazing um, documentary and super dope. And even if you can't go and see the documentary, how about you go out there and Google Weldon Irvine? He was a genius. Okay. All right. See you guys next week. Peace. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, you can follow us on all our social media sites at Black Therapist Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter, as well as Black in Therapy on Facebook. Or you can follow your hosts, me, Miss M-S-N-I-K-I, thanks, on Instagram and Twitter, as well as you can find out any information about me at Nikita, N-I-K-I-T-A, banks.com, and on the show's website, Black Therapist podcast.com and don't forget if you want to send us any general feedback show suggestions uh, show topics or guest ideas please feel free to drop us an email at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com thank you be well